0: Now, some of you may know this because I've complained about it in the past. I'm not a huge YouTube fan. Most of the time, it feels like there's a lot of pressure to enjoy something that you aren't, you aren't prepared to enjoy. Someone jams their four-inch screen into your face and says, This is the funniest thing ever. right? And it's never, it never is. And, and you look, and you're like, this is kind of awkward, I'm not laughing, like, uh, when does this get funny? And then finally it ends, and you wish you had those moments back. <laughs> You've been held hostage, and you feel like you can be released if you only laugh like you really mean it. If not, the other person's going to be offended. Now, I know, though, uh, some of you are big YouTube fans, and uh, I've heard from some of you how much you love learning. And you love watching all kinds of videos and learning how to do all kinds of things. In fact, my, my, my father-in-law is here this morning and he likes watching videos on how to rerail derailed trains. You know, so when a, a train comes off the track, which sounds like a bad thing, um, he actually has a business of getting those derailed trains back onto the rails. Now, in that case, YouTube videos, I'm sure, are very interesting, but also very important, right? Because you don't want to mess up doing that. You can probably learn a lot from other people's, uh, uh, other people's mistakes. The rumor is that you can learn how to do all kinds of things on YouTube. But when it comes to humble Other centered living, the kind of living that the Apostle Paul has been describing in Philippians 2. YouTube isn't the place for how to videos. But yet, the Apostle Paul knew that the Philippians would benefit from seeing these instructions fleshed out. They needed to see real live examples. And I'm going to stop for just a second. I'm just so excited that John and Claire are here with baby Caleb. Right? Can we praise the Lord? Are you guys so excited to see uh, John Claire here with baby Caleb? I uh, got got a little choked up as they came in. What an answer to so many of your prayers. Now back to uh, YouTube and the Apostle Paul. So, in lieu of YouTube, Paul uses real-life examples to challenge the Philippians about this humble, other-centered living. We had seen that already in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, where the Apostle Paul used the example of Jesus Christ himself. No better example. In chapter 2, verses 17 through 18, the Apostle Paul uses himself as an example. How he rejoiced, we learned about this last week, how he rejoiced about being spent, about being poured out upon the sacrifice and service of the faith of the Philippians, being a compliment to their sacrifice. And now we're going to look at Philippians 2, verses 19 to 30. Uh, we'll, we'll look at the first half of this morning, how Paul uses Timothy and Epaphroditus as examples, both men that the Philippians knew well. Paul couldn't grab a smartphone and say, you have to see this. It's the best thing ever. But he does the remi- remind the Philippians of what they've seen in the past, what they've seen in their past interactions with these men. So let's read together. I'm going to read to you Philippians 2, and uh, let, let, let's, let's begin in verse 17, and we'll read up to verse 30. We're going to focus this morning, though, on 19 to 24. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. So that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. But I thought it necessary necessary to send to you, to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for preserving your word for us. And even in these kind of intimate moments between the Apostle Paul and the Philippian church, Where he talks about why he sent Timothy, and I mean why he couldn't send Timothy, and why he sent Epaphroditus instead, and it really kind of uh, opens up a window into how uh, Paul thought about the Christian life, and what his expectations were, and really what humble service and selflessness looks like. So as, Father, we look at this section this morning, really which has no commands in it, Lord, I pray that you would still instruct our hearts, Lord, that we would be challenged uh, to be selfless, to seek the things of Christ Jesus, to serve the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, when the Philippians saw Epaphroditus walk down the Ignatian Way, that's a 700-mile-long road that, that, that cuts across ancient Greece, and really go, go, goes into Turkey, 20 feet wide, this time is about a 200-year-old road. When they saw Paphroditus walking down that road, with this letter from the Apostle Paul, they would have been surprised. See, the Philippians had heard how sick their emissary, Paphroditus, had been. But now he was back. He was healthy, which no doubt they were thankful for. But since he was healthy, there's kind of a question there. Why wasn't Timothy coming? See, they had sent Epaphroditus, hopefully, to free up Timothy to be able to come and help them with some of the struggles that they were facing in their church. So there must have been some lingering questions. Was Timothy not up to the job? Had they'd been worried sick for sick Epaphroditus for no reason, maybe he really wasn't that sick? Or maybe Epaphroditus had been sent home by a disappointed Paul. The Philippians had likely been waiting uh, for this point in Paul's letter. You know, we've had two chapters so far talking about Paul's affairs, and they were excited to hear uh, how Paul was doing as he was waiting trial before Emperor Nero, receiving instruction from the Apostle Paul. But th- there were some unanswered questions. Like, why is Epaphroditus here? And so finally, Paul gets to that point in the letter where he just answers some of those practical questions. He uses this letter to alleviate some of those concerns that they had. But as Paul does that, he describes himself and Timothy and Epaphroditus in ways that would challenge the church whose joy was being sapped by selfishness, And whose unity was being subverted by disunity and pride. So, launching from Philippians 2 19 to 24, we're going to frame three questions to ask ourselves so that we'll sharpen our commitment to live worthy of the gospel, as Paul has called them to. To consider others more important than ourselves, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So we're going to ask three questions that really help sharpen our commitment to the gospel and the work that God has called us to. Now, I believe that the uh, Apostle Paul wanted the Philippians to ask themselves questions very like the ones we're going to ask ourselves this morning. See, because Paul could have just said, and and, in these verses, we're going to read 19 to 24, he could have said, Timothy's doing great, but I just couldn't send him, right? Right? That could have been all. He's, he's, he's doing great. Love Timothy. Would have loved to send him to you. I'm going to do it as soon as I can. But he adds in all this other stuff. And we have to ask, why does he add in all these details? What is Paul taking the opportunity to say here? And so I think what he says about Timothy this week and Epaphroditus next week is really going to challenge us just as it was meant to challenge the, the Philippians. So we're going to try to, uh, as we look at these verses, try to deduce a little bit of what was going on in the uh, Philippian church at the time that Paul is writing. And it seems like Paul, uh, it seems like that the, the Philippians were hoping that Paul would send Timothy to them. They, they, they were hoping for Timothy to come and help them. So they had sent Epaphroditus from Philippi, To Paul, who's in prison in Rome with a money offering, but probably with the intention as well that Epaphroditus would stay there and help Paul, freeing up Timothy to be able to return. See, they knew Timothy well. Timothy had first gone to, to Philippi when Paul went there. So Timothy was around 20 at that time. He was there when that church was planted, when Paul first preached the gospel there, and he had been there multiple times over the next 10 years. Timothy was probably around 30 this time, and the Philippi church trusted him. They had been used to being ministered by Timothy, and since Paul couldn't go, Timothy was the next best thing. But instead of seeing Timothy come down the Ignatian Way, there was Epaphroditus instead. And I can imagine them wondering, why is Epaphroditus here? And we're going to see in, in chapter 2, verse 26, he, that they had heard that he was sick. Where's Timothy? Our church is struggling. We didn't need Epaphroditus back. We could have used Timothy. He's one of our, our, our pastors. He was here when this church was planted. He, he knows these people. Uh, he knows those in our church that are causing struggles. Now, to make matters worse, not only was there maybe some confusion going on at this time, um, People just couldn't text back and forth, right? They've been waiting perhaps a long time. See, the trip from Philippi on the east coast of Greece to Rome would have taken forty to fifty days. Forty to fifty days. Now that's at a pace of about fifteen to twenty miles of walking a day, plus a couple days uh, crossing the, the, the Adriatic Sea. So the journey from Rome to Philippi, and from Philippi to Rome, and then for this letter. To go from Rome back to Philippi could have quite possibly taken 80 to 100 days. So the church had been waiting a long time. And you could sense maybe they could have been disappointed to see Epaphroditus back and not Timothy. They also had heard that Epaphroditus was sick. So if we play this out, and and maybe they had found out as, as Epaphroditus was on his way to Rome, going across Greece... You know, like, let's just imagine he gets to the halfway point, 20 days into his journey. He has kind of a difficult choice. Do I go back or do I keep going? Well, Paul needs this money, so he keeps going. And it could have been at day 20 or day 30. We, we, we don't know. But that takes 20 days or 30 days to get back to Philippi with that news. So at the very least, uh, the people in Philippi have been waiting at the very least 70, 80 days to hear about how Sycopaphroditus was doing. So they're glad to see him healthy, they're disappointed he's not Timothy, what's going on? And Paul has to address those very common, real concerns in this letter. But as I said, he just doesn't address them, he takes the chance, the opportunity to shepherd the people as well. So in this section, Paul works hard to prevent some some misunderstandings. And there's misunderstandings like making sure that they don't think poorly about Timothy. That they, they don't think that maybe Timothy had some, poor, had some moral failure, that he wasn't doing well in his walk, and that's why they couldn't send, he couldn't send Timothy back. He affirms that Timothy wasn't out of favor with the apostle. He just couldn't spare Timothy at that time. And these are just some of the real live affairs that Paul is addressing here. Now, like I said, he's writing to prevent these misunderstandings. But there's more going on in Paul's attention to whom he sent. He's going to use these men to model the humility and selflessness that he's been challenging the Philippians towards. So let's look at verse 19 first. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. That I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. Paul wasn't able to send Timothy, but he was hoping to, to, to do so. He says that he was hoping in the Lord Jesus. And that suggests that Paul understood that the Lord Jesus was in charge, that he was at Christ's right hand, that he was the one to whom all authority on heaven and earth had been given, and that Timothy wasn't going to go back if it wasn't the Lord's will. So he's hopeful, but he's dependent and he's submissive to what God has planned. He's hoping in the Lord Jesus to send him back. Now, Paul says that his reason, he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. And he doesn't say so that Timothy can fix all your problems. He says so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. I'm going to send Timothy to you as soon as I can, but I... I'm looking forward to Timothy coming back because I am eager to hear how things are going with you. He's eager to hear. Now, even if that meant waiting three months for Timothy to go there and come back, Paul was eager that he would be encouraged, that he would be cheered, it says in the ESV. The Greek word has the idea of, of two Greek, Greek words there. well sold good soul, that things would be well with Paul's soul when he heard how things were going with the Philippian church. I think Paul was expecting that he would be encouraged because Paul's optimistic his soul is going to be refreshed when Timothy does come back with a report of how the church in Philippi is doing. He's hopeful, and again he's hoping in the Lord, that the church in Philippi is going to listen to the instructions that Paul is giving that they're going to be humble, that they're going to be selfless, that they're going to be committed to gospel work, that they're going to be working out their salvation with fear and trembling, that they're going to be doing everything without grumbling and, and disputing. He expects to be encouraged, his heart to be lifted, his soul refreshed by the report that Timothy brings back. He's looking forward his happiness into the Philippians' response. And it brings us to our first question this morning. Is my soul refreshed when I hear my brothers and sisters in Christ are doing well? Is my soul refreshed when I hear my brothers and sisters in Christ, my siblings in Christ, those who are believing in him, are doing well? See, Paul is willing to send Timothy on this perilous, exhausting, hundreds of mile long journey in order to hear how the philippians were he knows there's problems he can't wait to hear now he doesn't say paphroditus go there and and come back he wanted paphroditus to stay there he says i'm gonna send timothy as soon as i can because i can't wait to hear how things are going for you now we've seen in the philippian letter paul's heart for the philippians ooze out over the pages of this letter he loves this church Philippians 1.3 said, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always offering my prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. Every time he prayed for them, he prayed for them with joy. In Philippians 1.7, he talks about, it's only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart Philippians 1.8, for God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul wants to know, Paul wants the Philippians to know how much he loves them. He yearns for them with the same love that Christ has for them. Philippians two two he implores them to make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in the spirit and tend to one purpose. My joy isn't going to be filled if you're not obeying, if you're not doing well, if you're not loving one another. Philippians two seventeen. we saw this last week. He was perfectly happy to be poured out upon their sacrifice, just to be that, 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 that bit of oil or the bit of wine poured over the sacrifice of their obedience that came from their faith, just to be the complement to their sacrifice. See, Paul's heart was deeply enmeshed with the Philippians' heart. And I think here in Philippians two nineteen, Paul has a purpose in returning to this theme here once again. If Paul's heart is filled with the Philippians while he's in prison, awaiting trial, possibly facing execution, if his heart is 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 longing for the Philippians while in prison, how much more should the Philippians' heart be filled with the Philippians? How much more should their heart be engaged with the welfare of one another? The challenge this morning is for you to ask yourself whether your joy is connected to the health of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Is your joy connected to how they are doing in their walk with the Lord? It's good to come away from care group burdened when your brothers and sisters are lacking joy when they're discouraged when they've been giving into sin when they're in danger of wandering from the lord your heart should be burdened you shouldn't feel good this is how paul felt we see this in 2 Corinthians 11 to 28, describes his concern. He says, Apart from such external things, we went through all these horrible things he went through. There's the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. And that was Paul's concern for all the churches. We should be concerned for our brothers and sisters in Christ here at Cornerstone. Those that we know from other churches, those in our own care groups. Galatians 4 19 to 20 describes some of Paul's burden. He says, My children with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. But I could wish to be present with you now to change my tone for I am perplexed about you. The church in Galatians was in danger following a false, false gospel. He says, I feel like I'm giving birth to you all over again. I'm perplexed about you. My heart is disturbed because of how you are doing. See, being burdened for our brothers and sisters in Christ should drive us to pray for them. It should drive us to serve them. It should drive us to speak to them. It should overflow in our reaching out to one another during the week and our following up with what someone has shared with us on a Sunday. Even as Paul's own letters, the natural overflow of that burden, this letter to the Philippians is the overflow of what he's heard. Now, this was typical of... Paul's ministry in an age when there weren't any smartphones. You couldn't just call someone and say, hey, how are things going there? In 1 Thessalonians 3, 1-3 describes Paul's nervousness for, for, for the church in, in, Thess- in Thessalonica. He says, therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we couldn't take it anymore, not knowing how you were doing. Therefore, when we could do, endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy. Which is the very thing he's talking about doing here. Our brother and God's fellow work in the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. We couldn't endure. We had to know what you were doing. We had to send Timothy right away. We wanted to know that things were okay with you. And that's how we should be for one another. It's good to come away from our time with one another burdened, saddened, if our brothers and sisters in Christ aren't walking with the Lord if they've had a hard week, if the joy in Christ is missing. But it's also good to come away from care group refreshed and brightened, cheered when a brother or sister has been faithfully in the Word. That's good news, right? It should make us smile. When they've been saying no to self, when they've been growing in love, when they're sharing the gospel with family and co-workers, this is thrilling good news. It should be a source of comfort to us. And, uh, again, Paul Paul describes some of the same heart in, in his letter to, to the Thessalonians. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 3, 7-8. For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we are comforted about you through your faith. For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord right and does that describe you do you really live can you say i'm really alive tonight because i went to care group but my brothers and sisters in christ are doing great i came to church today and i had this conversation this conversation and they're doing great i'm really alive see that's how paul was feeling about the philippians he wanted his heart to be encouraged to be cheered to be good in soul because of how the philippians were doing The Apostle John, 3 John, verse 4. I love this verse. I have no greater joy than this, to hear of my children walking in the truth. No greater joy. Is that your great joy? To know that in your relationships with one another, they're walking in the truth. They're growing and meditating in God's word. They're growing in holiness. They're sharing the gospel. They're doing well. There's no greater joy. So let me ask you then, is your soul moved by the spiritual health of your brothers and sisters? Is your soul moved by the spiritual health of your brothers and sisters? Is that your source of good souledness? I don't know if that's a word. Is that where your good soul comes from? Your well soul, your refreshment of soul, your cheering of soul, your encouragement of soul. See, going to group is kind of like getting an unscratched lottery ticket. I'm not encouraging you to go out and buy one. But let's just say you're given one, right? Maybe some of you would leave it unscratched. I don't know. I don't think I would. I know, I know I wouldn't, okay? You get an unscratched lottery ticket. There's a potential there for megabucks, right? So what are you gonna do? Well, that's kind of what like going to care group is like. Like, what's gonna happen when I scratch this? And you're like, yes, they're doing well with the Lord. It's thrilling. Your soul's Your your soul's lifted. See, Paul is eager to send Timothy on this 100-day round-trip journey to find out how the Philippians are doing. Because he wants to be encouraged. Because Paul's soul in prison needs refreshing. So what does he do? He can't wait to hear Is that where your joy is coming from? Are you being lightened because of how they're doing? Let's go ahead into Philippians 2, verses 20 and 21. For they have no one else of, uh, I'm sorry, for I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interest, not those of Christ Jesus. He's saying, I can't send anyone else. Now, he says that Timothy is the right person because of the kindred spirit that he has. Because of this kindred spirit, it's kind of a cool word, it's equal soul. He says, me and Timothy have an equal soul when it comes to our concern for you. Now, when he says that genuine concern, that word concern there can have a negative feeling. It's, it's the same word in Philippians 4, 6, where he says, be anxious for nothing. That word about anxiety, that, 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 that nervousness, that concern, that can be sinful. But that concern can also be good. It can be appropriate care. And Paul says, I've got no one else who has the same kind of concern for you, who shares that, that they equal soul with me. Now, it's possible and, and it would make sense to look at verse 20 and says, oh, well, I know why Timothy had this equal soul with Paul. Because Timothy was there when that church was planted, right? Timothy had gone to that church multiple times. Timothy had known some of these brothers and sisters for the last 10 years. No one else in Rome was like that. No one else had that kind of experience. But the truth is much sadder than that, Right? As you look into verse 21, Paul explains why he has no one else in like soul besides Timothy. For they all seek after their own interest, not those of Christ Jesus. Now, I agree with, 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 with commentators. At first, you, you can read that, and it, and it sounds pretty bleak, right? No one, none of the Christians in Rome cared about the things of Christ Jesus. They all cared about their own things. And I think he's probably talking here about those who had freedom in their life to go. Those who could have gone. Of course, there are some who couldn't go, right? The mom at home with four kids under the age of six couldn't make this trip. So he's not talking about every Christian there. But he's talking about those with the freedom to go. Those who had the potential of making a trip like this. As Paul looks around Rome, the available men who could take this journey, he clarifies why only Timothy was his kindred spirit. Why only Timothy had this like soul. Why only Timothy was concerned about their welfare. They all seek after their own interests and not those of Christ Jesus. Now Paul doesn't say what kind of things in their life had eclipsed the Lord Jesus. Maybe those interests were sinful. Maybe they were things that were inappropriate for saints. They just shouldn't have been doing. He doesn't say that, though. Maybe they were more innocent things. The pursuit of necessary income. The quest for life experiences. The desire for personal achievement. Saving up to buy their first home. I don't know. They were innocent except that they had replaced in their hearts the things of Christ Jesus. It's not so innocent, is it? They'd replaced in their hearts the things of Christ Jesus. And brings us to our second question. Have I been seeking my own things or the things of Christ Jesus? Have I been seeking, seeking my own things or the things of Christ Jesus? See, Paul really uses this, the same language about Timothy here to get the Philippians' attention. Because it's very similar to what he had commanded them earlier in the chapter. In Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, it said, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest. And we talked about this. It doesn't say merely there. It says, do not look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. And now, Paul points to Timothy. You guys want to know what that looks like? It looks like Timothy. I can't show you the YouTube video, but it looks like Timothy. You guys remember Timothy. See, Timothy sought the interests of Christ Jesus, the things of Christ Jesus. Now, he doesn't spell out what those interests are here in this verse. The interests of Christ Jesus are those things that bring glory to Christ Jesus. That reveal who Christ Jesus is. That demonstrate the power of Christ Jesus' death and resurrection. The interests of Christ Jesus are inseparable from the interests of others. They're inseparable from the interests of others. What is good for Christ Jesus is good for others. People believing in him. Submitting to Him and seeking others to follow Him. That is in the interest of Christ Jesus. It is in the interest of Christ Jesus that people overcome sin and obey His commands through His power. It's in the interest of Christ Jesus that people live like Christ is invaluable and priceless and worth sacrificing for. That is in the interest of Christ Jesus. It is in the interest of Christ Jesus that people trust Him because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Him. It is in the interest of Christ Jesus that people proclaim the good news of repentance and forgiveness of sins to all nations. That is in the interest of Christ Jesus. So if those things, those are the things that are in the interest of Christ Jesus, what are these things that are in our own interest? Because that's what he says here, right? They all seek after their own interest, not those of Christ Jesus. What you seek that takes you away from pursuing the interest of Christ Jesus. It's the thing you seek that takes you away from pursuing the interest of Christ Jesus. That divert your attention away from his glory. That take you away from his pleasure. It's seeking first your kingdom instead of seeking first his kingdom. It's managing your money instead of managing his money. It's cultivating your image instead of exalting his image. It's pursuing your pleasure instead of pursuing his pleasure. It's being concerning, concerned about getting what you want instead of getting what he wants. It's being focused, and I, I'm going to say this cautiously, on your physical family to the exclusion of your spiritual family. Right? It's good to care about your family, but not if it excludes the body of Christ. See, you can live a squeaky, clean, moral, exemplary life concerned only about your own things. This is not about whether you can enjoy a cheeseburger or a movie or Taco Man. I look forward to Taco Man a lot. But this is about what you are seeking for and striving after, and what you are pursuing. It's about what drives you and delights you, about what motivates you, what captivates you. See, Paul had no one else who genuinely cared because the others were too selfish. Again, this wasn't talking about every person in Philippi. This is talking about those who could make room in their lives to make this journey. And he says they're all concerned about their own things. Lord willing, they wouldn't be said about us. See, their concern was limited to their planner and their goals and their weekend. Or maybe the photos that are on their smartphone. Yeah, church in Philippi is not in my Rolodex. No one knows who that is anymore. It didn't extend, their, their concern didn't extend to Christ's glory in Philippi, it, it just wasn't on their scope. Uh, Sorry you don't got anyone, Paul. I'm kind of busy. So perhaps these are some good questions to ask yourself. From what you know of Christ and his word, what you know of Christ and his word, is what I'm being spent on important to Christ? Is what I'm being spent on important to Christ? And that is not a condemning question for many of you. That can be a very encouraging question. You are filling your lives with things that are important to Christ, that are in his interest, that are the things of Christ Jesus. But maybe there are things that you're spending on that are not important to Christ. He'd have no interest in There'd be no way that he would waste that much time on that. Or another question from what i know of christ and his word am i excluding or am i ignoring what he was spent on from what i know of christ and his word and i am i excluding blocking out blinding my eyes to ignoring what he was spent on this does not change that god has given us different roles different availabilities, different stages of life, different gifts. But we should all have that one ambition, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. See, Paul had already called the Philippians to do nothing from selfish ambition. Timothy was what that looked like. He exemplified that. He was what it looked like to pursue the interest of others, to pursue the interest of Christ Jesus, and he reminds them of that. This is, this is what that looks like. To be all in for the interest of Christ Jesus. We have communion this afternoon. So I don't know if we're going to get to our third question. But maybe that will be exciting for you. To get to our third question. Next time. We're going to go to communion in just a minute. Many at the church in Philippi... Had seen Paul, I mean, they had seen Paul, probably most of them. They had seen Timothy in action. They had seen their how they served for the gospel. They had seen their interest in the things of Christ Jesus. And Paul's words would resonate to a unique in a unique way to them that knew Paul and Timothy. Even if they had YouTube most of that ministry wouldn't have been captured. The private pleadings and the fervent prayings and the sacrificial service and the ongoing dialogues and the late nights and the early mornings. It wasn't stuff you would film, right? Now, we don't have those same memories of Paul and Timothy doing that day-to-day ministry. But what God has left us is sufficient. He's left us his word. And we saw there's no commands in this section. At least this part we're looking at here. But there are examples. And these examples were intended to lead the moms and dads of Philippi, the doctors in Philippi, the servants in Philippi, the slaves in Philippi who were saved, all of those in Philippi to examine themselves and to ask the kinds of questions we're talking about here this morning, the kinds of questions that we've been asking ourselves, and we only got to the first two. Is my soul refreshed when I hear my brothers and sisters in Christ are doing well? Is my soul refreshed when my brothers and sisters in Christ are doing well? And there's also the flip side of that. Is my soul burdened when they're not doing well? Our joy should be tied to how they're doing. That's not the only thing there is to joy. But he wanted to be encouraged to be good in soul because if When he heard about them. And the second question we look at this morning. Have I been seeking my own things or the things of Christ Jesus? Let's pray and then after that we'll go straight into communion. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word that you've given us. How you've saved for us. Um, Really, I think verses that that some could kind of just gloss over. Uh, Paul explaining why he can't send Timothy. He wish he could. He wants to be encouraged by hearing about them. Lord, but we see just such uh, insight into how the hearts of your people uh, work and what should be encouraging to us and what should bring us uh, joy, Lord, what it means to be um, in, uh, pursuing the interest of Christ Jesus. I pray, Father, that you would help us as we ask ourselves these questions. I pray, Father, that some of us would commit to re-engage, Lord, in our brothers and sisters, that we would bear their burdens, that we would share their joys, that we would allow ourselves, and and I think we display this most in praying for them, to to, to be crushed when they're walking away from you and to rejoice when they are walking with you. Lord, I pray, Father, that to some extent we know that we have these gospel truths that are are steadfast, but yet Paul wanted to have this goodness and soul by hearing how they were obeying, Lord. I pray that our, our goodness and soul, that our refreshment would be by seeing how our brothers and sisters in Christ are doing, that we would work hard for that, Lord, that we would be concerned about the things of Christ Jesus. We know that the things of Christ Jesus, his interest, include those outside of these walls, Lord. We pray, Father, that you'd be using us in the lives of those who don't know you. We pray, Father, that we'd be using you we'd be being used by you in the lives of those inside these walls, Lord. That, that our conversations, our lives would be about the interests of Christ Jesus. That you would protect us from being infatuated and being spent on the things that, 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 that Christ wouldn't, wouldn't have any desire to be part of. And not even maybe because they were bad things or wicked things. But just because it was a waste of time. Lord, help us to be concerned about the things of Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.